Well, good morning. It's 2 a.m. Monday morning, December 21st. In the Gospel of Luke, chapter 23. Then the whole assembly rose and led him off to Pilate. And they began to accuse him, saying, We have found this man subverting our nation. He opposes payment of taxes to Caesar and claims to be Christ a king. So Pilate asked Jesus, Are you the king of the Jews? Yes, it is, as you say, Jesus replied. Then Pilate announced to the chief priests and the crowd, I find no basis for a charge against this man. But they insisted he stirs up the people all over Judea by his teaching. He started in Galilee has come all the way here. On hearing this, Pilate asked if the man was a Galilean. When he learned that Jesus was under Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who was also in Jerusalem at that time. When Herod saw Jesus, he was greatly pleased because for a long time he had been wanting to see him from what he had heard about him. He hoped to see him perform some miracle He plied him with many questions, but Jesus gave him no answer. The chief priests and the teachers of the law were standing there vehemently accusing him. Then Herod and his soldiers ridiculed and mocked him, dressing him 
in an elegant robe. They sent him back to Pilate. That day, Herod and Pilate became friends. Before this day, they had been enemies. Pilate called together the chief priests, the rulers, and the people. And said to them, You brought me this man as one who was inciting the people to rebellion. I have examined him in your presence and have found no basis for your charges against him. Neither has Herod for he sent him back to us. As you can see, he has done nothing to deserve death. Therefore, I will punish him and then release him. With one voice they cried out, Away with this man! Release Barabbas to us! Barabbas had been thrown into prison for an insurrection in the city and for murder wanting to release Jesus, Pilate appealed to them again. But they kept shouting, Crucify him! Crucify him! For the third time he spoke to them, Why? What crime has this man committed? I have found in him no grounds for the death penalty. Therefore, I will have him punished and then release him. But with loud shouts, they insistently demanded that he be crucified. And their shouts prevailed. So Pilate decided to grant their demand. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, the one they asked for and surrendered Jesus to their will. Crucifixion.
Luke 23 and 26, verse 26. As they led him away, they seized Simon from Cyrene, who was on his way in from the country and put the cross on him and made him carry it behind Jesus. A large number of people followed him, including women who mourned and wailed for him. Jesus turned and said to them, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me. Weep for yourselves and for your children, for the time will come when you will say, Blessed are the barren women, the wombs that never bore, and the breast that never mocked, the breast that never nursed. Then they will say to the mountains, Fall on us and to the hills cover us for if men do these things when the tree is green what will happen when it is dry to other men both criminals were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the Skull, there they crucified him along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, He saved others. Let him save himself. If he is the Christ of God, the Chosen One. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine, vinegar, and said, If you are the King of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. 
don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve, but this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth. Today you will be with me in paradise. Jesus' death. It was now about the sixth hour and darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour for the sun stopped shining and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he had said this, he breathed his last. The centurion, seeing what had happened, praised God and said, Surely this was a righteous man. When all the people who had gathered to witness this sight saw what took place. They beat their breast and went away. But all those who knew him, including the woman who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching these things. Jesus' burial. Verse 50. Now there was a man named Joseph, a member of the consul, a good and upright man who had not consented to their decision and action. He came from the Judean town of Arimathea, and he was waiting, waiting for the kingdom of God. Going to Pilate, he asked 
for Jesus's body then he took it down wrapped it in linen cloth and placed it in a tomb cut in the rock one in which no one no one had yet been laid it was preparation day and the Sabbath was about to begin the women who had come with Jesus from Galilee followed Joseph and saw the tomb and how his body was laid in it. Then they went home and prepared spices and perfumes. But they rested on the Sabbath in obedience to the commandment The resurrection. Chapter twenty four The Resurrection. Yam al Kiyama in Arabic. Yam al Kiyama. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee. The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands 
of sinful men be crucified and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words when they came back from the tomb. They told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of Jesus, Mary, the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles, but they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves. And he went away wondering, wondering to himself what had happened. On the road to Emmaus, Verse 13, now that same, that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, Are you only a visitor to Jerusalem and do not know the things that have happened there in these days. 
what things he asked about Jesus of Nazareth. They replied, he was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death. And they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of an angel who said, he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But him they did not see. He said to them, How foolish you are, and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he were going further, but they urged him strongly, Stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and 
he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. And then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. Jesus appears to the disciples while they were still talking about this. Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. Shalom. In Hebrew, shalom. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones. As you see, I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, Do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. He said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written. Verse 
about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. The Ascension Verse 50 When he had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they stayed continually at the temple Praising God. That was the end. The very end of the Gospel of Luke. Okay. Certainly hope there's something in the recitation for everyone that heard it. Something good. Something profitable in your hearing and for your life and your family. Surely, it surely was illuminating every time something special something new every time Dietrich Haddon
from Hill City Church. The pastor is preaching.
Hi guys, it's 3.19 a.m. Monday, December 21st. And we're going to continue with this book review. A Promised Land. We were in the middle of the book. Just on a whim. We went straight to the middle of the book. To the heart of the matter. <laughs> and sure enough. It was worth every word. And I don't know exactly where I stopped, but I'm going to just pick up at the top of the page where the bookmark is. Maybe that's where I left off. And I can preview it a little bit if you haven't heard any of the previous episodes. This book has been reviewed in the last um, five or more episodes. You'll see book review. You'll either see the title promised land with Barack Obama's name there or you'll see part of that information if you start with episode 898 and work up to December 20th you'll find just about or most of what has already been posted in the review. Oh, I can see right now. This page already read. We were We're reading in the middle of the book, and I think it was called The Good Fight. The chapter was The Good Fight. I want to find the number for you if I can. I have an idea what it is, but I want to make sure I give you the right number, yeah. Is chapter 14 and we made our way all the way over to page th around 370 so almost completed the whole chapter 
Okay, we'll start at the top of page 370. I was greeted by a group of young army rangers who earlier in the day had recreated the parachute jumps that had accompanied D-Day's amphibious landings. They were in dress uniform now, handsome and fit, smiling with a well-earned swagger. I shook hands with each of them, asking where they were from and where they were currently deployed. A sergeant first class named Corey Rimsburg explained that most of them had just come back from Iraq. He'd be heading out to Afghanistan in the coming weeks, he said, for his 10th deployment. He quickly added, Quote, that's nothing compared to what the men did here 65 years ago. Sir, they made our way of life possible. A survey of the crowd that day reminded me that very few D-Day or World War II vets were still alive and able to make the trip. Many who had made it needed wheelchairs or walkers to get around. Bob Dole, the acerbic Kansan who had overcome devastating injuries during World War II to become one of the most accomplished and respected senators in Washington was there. So was my Uncle Charlie. Toots' brother who'd come with his wife. Melanie as my guest, a retired librarian. He was one of the most gentle and unassuming men I knew. According to Toot, he'd been so shaken by his experience as a soldier that he barely spoke for six months after returning home. Whatever wounds they carried, these men exuded a quiet pride as they gathered in their veterans' caps and neat blazers pinned with well-polished service medals.
They swapped stories, accepted handshakes and words of thanks from me and other strangers and were surrounded by children and grandchildren who knew them less for their war heroism than for the lives they had led afterward as teachers, engineers, factory workers, or store owners. Men who had married their sweethearts, worked hard to buy a house, fought off depression and disappointments, coached Little League, volunteered at their churches or synagogues, and seen their sons and daughters marry and have families of their own. Standing on the stage as the ceremony began, I realized that the lives of these 80-something-year-old veterans more than answered whatever doubts stirred in me. Maybe, maybe nothing would come of my Cairo speech. Maybe the dysfunction of the Middle East would play itself out regardless of what I did. Maybe the best we could hope for was to placate men like Mubarak and kill those who would try to kill us. Maybe, as the pyramids had whispered, none of it mattered in the long run, but the only scale that any of us can truly comprehend the span of centuries, the actions of an American president 65 years earlier had set the world on a better course. The sacrifices these men had made at roughly the same age as the young army rangers I'd just met had made all the difference just as the witness of Eli Ellie Wiesel, a beneficiary of those sacrifices, made a difference, just as Angela Merkel's willingness to absorb the tragic lessons of her own nation's past made a difference. It was my turn to speak. I told the stories of a few of the men we had come to honor. Quote, Our history has always been the sum total of the choices made and the actions taken by each individual man and woman. Close quote. I concluded.
quote, it has always been up to us, close quote. Turning back to look at the old men sitting behind me on the stage, I believed this to be true. Well, that was the end of chapter 15 because this next page says 16. Oh, wait a minute. That's what happens. I skipped around and um, maybe I jumped too far. Let me check something here. Let's see if there's another bookmark. All of it is, all of it is instructive. So, <laughs> I got a feeling I was reading all throughout the night, and I I was reading and see, not really comprehending it. I remember back in the day when the professors used to tell us if we recorded while we were in a, a classroom that we would remember less because we, would, we wouldn't re rely on our memory as much because we knew the recording would pick up more, pick up as whatever we couldn't recall. In other words, that he was, he or she was trying to say in a nice word, nice way that we would uh, not necessarily become lazy, but we wouldn't be as focused. Reading this in my sleep, I'm all last night. Maybe I wasn't as focused. I don't know. I thought it was exciting. So, <laughs> to me, when you read something and it, you're getting something out of it, to me, that seems like the whole point. <laughs> And it's always good when you can read something for 
enjoyment and pleasure as well as learning and not have to memorize everything for an exam. <laughs> it's, it's less stress. Well, just about every page that you land on, you're going to get, ooh, just oodles and oodles of history. Mm. Let me check the table of contents again to see what's in here it comes with photographs color photographs and black and white Well, I did want to hear what he had to say about the Middle East. I, he could have wrote even more. Well, here's some. Let's see. 456. Chapter 19. Running for the presidency, I'd promised Americans a different kind of foreign policy than the sort we'd been practicing since 9-11 Iraq and Afghanistan 
offered stark lessons in how quickly a president's options narrowed once a war had begun. I was determined to shift a certain mindset that had gripped not just the Bush administration, but much of Washington, one that saw threats around every corner, took a perverse pride in acting unilaterally and considered military action as an almost routine means of addressing foreign policy challenges in our interactions with other nations we had become obdurate and short-sighted resistant to the hard slow work of building coalitions and consensus We'd closed ourselves off from other points of view. I believed that America's security depended on strengthening our alliances and international institutions. I saw military action as a tool of last, not first, Resort. We had to manage the wars we were in, but I also wanted to put this broader faith in diplomacy to the test. It began with a change in tone from the start of my administration. We made sure that Every foreign policy statement coming out of the White House emphasized the importance of international cooperation and America's intention to engage other nations, big and small, on the basis of mutual interest and respect. We looked for small but symbolic ways to shift policy like boosting the international affairs budget at the State Department or bringing the United States out of arrears on its UN dues after several years in which the Bush administration and the Republican-controlled Congress had withheld certain payments consistent with the adage that 80% of success is a matter of showing up. We also made a point of visiting parts of the world that had
had been neglected by the Bush administration with its all-consuming focus on terrorism in the Middle East. Hillary, in particular, was a whirlwind that first year hopping from continent to continent as doggedly as she'd once campaigned for the presidency. Seeing the excitement her visits generated in foreign capitals, I felt vindicated in my decision to appoint her as America's top diplomat. It wasn't just that she was treated as a peer by world leaders. Wherever she went, the public saw her presence in their country as a sign that they really mattered to us. Quote, if we want other countries to support our priorities, I told my NSC team, we can't just bully them into it. We've got to show them we're taking their perspectives into account or at least can find them on a map. Close quote. To be known, to be heard, to have one's unique identity recognized and seen seen as worthy. It was a universal human desire, I thought, as true for nations and peoples as it was for individuals. If I understood that basic truth more than some of my predecessors, Perhaps it was because I'd spent a big chunk of my childhood abroad and had family in places long considered backward and underdeveloped. Or maybe it was because, as an African American, I'd experienced what it was like not to be fully seen inside my own country. Whatever the reason, I made a point of showing an interest in the history, culture, and people of the places we visited. Ben joked that my overseas speeches could be reduced to a simple algorithm. Quote, greeting in foreign language, often badly pronounced. It's wonderful to be in this beautiful country that's made lasting contributions to world civilization and list of stuff 
There is a long history of friendship between our two nations. Inspiring antidote. And it's in part due to the contributions of the millions of proud hyphenated Americans whose ancestors immigrated to our shores that the United States is the nation it is today, close quote. It might have been corny, but the smiles and nods of foreign audiences show the extent to which simple acts of acknowledgement mattered. For the same reason we tried to include some high-profile sightseeing on all my foreign trips, something to get me out of hotels and beyond the palace gates. My interest in touring Istanbul's Blue Mosque or visiting a local eatery in Ho Chi Minh City I knew would make a far more lasting impression on the average Turkish or Vietnamese citizen than any bilateral meeting or press conference talking point just as important these stops gave me a chance to interact at least a little while a little with ordinary people rather than just government officials and wealthy elites who in many countries were viewed as out of touch. That's the first page of chapter 19. And the title is A Promised Land by Barack Obama. And I'm motivated to get more books from the book list that uh, Mr. Obama has released a book list of the uh, books that he read his favorite book list of 2020 so I'm inspired now we have a new bookstore and it has 
more more variety and more current authors. As a matter of fact, with so many of our bookstores went out when the economy was really bad years back. The uh, bookstores sort of just went away. But now that we have a good bookstore, I'm looking forward to more doing more book reviews. And from what I've seen, they have quite a few books. And they specialize in, what does it say? African-American and multicultural books, calendars, cards, and gifts. And they're listed at Baldwin Hills, Baldwin Hills Mall, 3650 West Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard, Suite, number 245, Los Angeles, California, 9008. Email, or well, here's their URL, the three W's dot M A L I K B O O K S dot com, Malik Books dot com. If you need to order any ethnic or multicultural or African-American books, calendars, cards, and gifts. Malik books. Might as well shout them out. They're on Instagram. Facebook
Ich muss sie gleich. 